All right, uh, by show of hands, how many of you have a brother? Yes, many, many. So you know what it's like to have a brother. So a brother is somebody who is supposed to have your back always. Now, we can agree that sometimes they don't, right? Sometimes your brother does not have your back. And sometimes it's on purpose. Like, you know, I can think of a few times where I definitely did not have my brother's back and I definitely threw him another bus when it was convenient for me. And he did the same to me. But sometimes it's by accident. Sometimes our brothers don't have our backs on accident. And I can think of a few times in my life where my brother did not have my back, but it was an accident. And, and let me be clear, it was an accident. Like, I don't suspect any foul play. I don't think my brother was trying to kill me. I don't think he was trying to take advantage of me. I think it truly was an accident, and he did not mean to not have my back in this moment. For example, I grew up skiing and snowboarding. Does anybody else ski and snowboard? Yeah, pretty fun. Um, we grew up going up to Powderhorn all the time. And so my mom, my dad, my brother, they all ski and I snowboard because, you know, I have to be an individual. I have to be different than everybody else, right? And so I grew up snowboarding while everybody else skied. And this one particular, I think it was a Saturday, my dad, my brother, and I were going to go up to Powderhorn and enjoy a day of snow sports. And it was going to be awesome because we woke up in the morning and you know, like when you ski and you wake up in the morning, there's snow in town and you're like, oh man, it's going to be a good day up at the mountain. So we get excited. We're pumped up. We slam down breakfast. We get all our stuff. We throw in the truck. We make like sandwiches and stuff and put it in the bag and you get in the truck and you're all excited and you're hyped up, but you're wearing all your ski clothes in the truck with the heater on. So then you get like weird and smelly and then you, the whole truck smells like corn chips for some reason. And then you get all the way up there and you're really excited. You get your, your gear, you put your helmet, your goggles, your gloves on. Your dad's like, do you have your coat? And you're like, yeah, coat. I need a coat. And you go back to the truck, put your coat on. Then you get to the lift line. Now, if you don't ski or snowboard, there is a part of the story that you're going to not understand. So I'm going to explain to you the mechanics of getting on to the ski lift. Now, skiing, when you're a skier, it's really easy to get onto the ski lift because your feet point the same way as your skis. It's like you're walking. So chair comes up behind you. You check, make sure it's there. Sit down like it's a chair. Like no big deal at all. Super easy. Snowboarding though, little bit harder. So you, uh, when you snowboard to get on the lift, you have one foot that's sideways and you have to do this awkward, like, like shuffle scoot thing to get up there. And you're like trying not to fall. It's all over the place. And then you get up there and the next part is the hardest part. You look back to make sure the chair is there. Check chair is there. It's coming in hot. And then you have to do this like side sit, scoot, flip your board sideways, fall into the chair. Hope you don't die. Made it. That's the checklist for snowboarding, getting on the chair. Flashback to the story. We're going to get onto the ski lift. My dad, my brother, me. I'm super excited. I'm ready to get on. My brother is quite a bit shorter than me and needs some help getting up on the ski lift. So my dad grabs him by the back of the coat and goes to lift him up. And when my brother does, he puts both his skis down very firmly on top of my snowboard. Gets up on the chairlift, keeps his feet down, skis down, keeping me down. I'm checking to see if the chair's behind me, and I don't notice this. So I go to get up and do my fall and hope I don't die move. I don't make it. Uh, <laughs> I get stuck. I'm teetering like a little half-cheek scenario. I'm halfway on, halfway off, like a one-cheek scenario trying not to fall off the ski lift. Now, the problem isn't that I'm half on half off. The problem is, is that the ski lift is still moving. It is still moving very quickly and gaining elevation at a high rate of speed. So now I'm 
I'm in trouble. It's about to be a problem. I'm swimming through the air, trying to get up on the chair. Meanwhile, my dad is pretty much only caring about my brother in this moment, making sure he's good. He's safe. Did you? Get, are you okay? You good? You made it on the chair. And I'm like, because ah! <laughs> we're raising through the air. I might die. Your firstborn son. The heir to your estate is teetering on the edge of this chairlift going into the air with one butt cheek on, hoping I don't die. And I'm flailing. Finally, he notices. Finally, he notices, and he goes to grab me. But you know when you wear ski gloves, how your hands, like, they work, but only only vaguely? Like, only kind of. He's, like, trying to grab me, but it's more like a hard pat. It's more like a hard, like trying to scoop me and it's just not going well. And this seems like it's going on for hours and really it probably was only five seconds, but I'm freaking out. And finally it comes to an end and I fall off of the ski lift <laughs> and I fall like 15 feet. Now, luckily there was like a big powder snow drift that I fell into, but I sank up to my armpits and I was not okay emotionally, physically I was fine, but <laughs> My brother accidentally caused this accident. My brother accidentally didn't have my back. And this seems like an obvious statement, but we never have to worry about that with God. We never have to worry about if God is going to have our back. You see, he always does. And tonight we're starting a series called For You Page. And everybody knows what the For You Page is on TikTok. You open it up and it shows you exactly what you want to see. If you like videos of French bulldogs wearing sweaters, that's going to be the first thing on your For You Page. And so here at 4640, we believe that God wants to speak to us, and we believe that he wants to speak to us through his word, the Bible, and that if you were to really open it up and really dig in and really read it, you would see that not only is there something in there for you, a for you page, but God has your best interest at heart, and he wants you to know that he has your back. And so tonight I want to look at a story in the Old Testament in the Bible that shows us that not only is God for you, but he has your back. And so Romans 8:31 says, "What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us?" And so that's where we get this language of for you page. For you is God is for you. And not just all of us in this general sense, but for you and for you and for you and for you and for all of us. God is for you specifically. So we're going to look at this story about a man named Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat. Yes, Jehoshaphat. And, and his story, it, I feel like it illustrates this concept of God has our back perfectly. So we're going to pick up our story in 2 Chronicles 17, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, became the next king. He strengthened Judah to stand against any attack from Israel. And he stationed troops in all the fortified towns of Judah. And he assigned additional garrisons to the land of Judah and to the towns of Ephraim that his father, Asa, had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years and did not worship the images of Baal. So Jehoshaphat, that's kind of a hard name to say. So I might start calling him King JJ. You guys good with that? King JJ was widely loved by his people, and, and he was the rare, good, God-loving, God-honoring king in the Old Testament. Most of the time in the Old Testament, like the first half of the Bible, the kings were not good people. They worshipped images of false gods. They worshipped things that were not God, and they, they just were generally not good dudes. So the fact that Jehoshaphat was called out not only as somebody who loved God, but somebody who was good, it means he was pretty legit. He's a pretty legit guy. And so 
We go on to the story, but we find out that it's not all sunshine and roses for old JJ in the land of Judah, which sounds like a cool indie folk rock band that I would be super into. Second Chronicles 20 says this, after this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Mayunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea, and they are already at Hazazon Tamar. That was another name for En Gedi. So there are three separate nations. How many? Three separate nations, and each one of those nations has an army. And each one of those armies decided they were going to all be friends. And then all of those friends, now armies, decided they all collectively have beef with Judah, and they are going to pull up. And so it goes on to say that Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. Yeah, obviously. Who wouldn't be terrified? If I got a phone call saying all of my neighbors in my neighborhood decided they had a problem with me and they were going to attack, I'd freak out for sure. I've seen Home Alone. I grew up watching it. I have some tricks, but I don't know if I have that many tricks to defend my home against that many people. And so who wouldn't be freaking out about that sort of deal? And so verse three goes on. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So the people of all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. So to recap, the nation of Judah is facing three armies, three armies, which is almost certain doom. When you think about how small of a country Judah was and how big these other countries were and how big their armies were, this is certain doom. But their king, Jehoshaphat, JJ, a man of God who is admittedly terrified, goes to the only one he knows can help him. Because it's, it's not like he can just call up a neighbor and be like, hey, I'm in trouble. Would you come help me? because all of the neighbors are the one calling, causing the trouble. He, he can't just call a neighbor and be like, hey, come and save my bacon. All of the neighbors are the one who want him gone. And so Jehoshaphat goes to the only person he knows can help him, God. And it was because of his relationship with God, he knew that he could trust that God had a plan. God always has a plan. He has a plan for every single one of us, not just characters in the Bible, not just people who are good, but everyone. God has a plan for everyone. And all we have to do is ask him and he will tell us the plan. And this is why uh, King Jehoshaphat ordered the whole nation to fast and pray. And so fasting is just where you don't eat on purpose to hear from God and to connect with God. And so Jehoshaphat asked everybody to fast and everybody knew that God had a plan for them because they asked. And so after everyone fasted, the king stood before the enemies and prayed for God to move on their behalf and take care of this problem beforehand. He, Jehoshaphat acknowledged that without God, they were powerless before this attack. Second Chronicles 20, 13 and 14 says, all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children. I don't know the difference between little ones and children, but it's in here, so it has to be somewhat different. And so the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name Buckle up, everybody, because these are some hard names to pronounce. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. Say that 15 times fast. It goes on. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them and you will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz in the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. There it is. 
That's the plan. They asked for a plan. They asked God, what are we going to do? And there it is. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. March out against them. That's crazy. That's crazy. There's one little nation of Judah and their tiny little army. And then there's three big bad armies who have all joined forces and they're going to march out against them. Imagine yourself, you, one person up against one whole army. And then you go to like, you know, a general for some reason. So you're like, general Kenobi, what do we do here? What, what should I do? And he goes, don't be afraid. Just go for it. It'll be fine. That's not exactly the advice I was hoping for, but um, I was thinking maybe you give me some strategy. But upon further investigation, we find a major key in verse 15. It says this, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. When the creator of everything in the universe, the entire universe tells you that the battle isn't yours, but it's mine. It's pretty easy to be confident in that. When the guy who created the people who are trying to attack you, it's pretty confident to be like, nah, I'm going to go with him. He's got my back. And the story goes on to show us that not only does God have a plan for us, but he gives us protection as well. Chapter 20, verse 17 says, but you will not even need to fight Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. So this nation of Judah, they're not off the hook, right? God says the battle's mine, I'll take care of it, but they still have to go out. They still have to go out and see the battle. God still wants them to go out and have a front row seat to what it is he's going to do. Verse 20 says, early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. So King JJ tells everybody, hey, believe in God. He's got this. We will be able to stand firm because the truth is it would still be scary to march out to this battlefield. It would still be terrifying to have to go watch as God handles this. Like God said, I'm going to take care of it, but you still have to go to the front line. Like that would still be terrifying. And so Jehoshaphat rallies the troops one more time to the plan because it's crazy. If you're facing certain death like this and the plan was, let's go watch, that's crazy. And so... They march out. And then verse 21 says, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers, yes, you heard me right, singers, to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. What? Singers are leading us into battle? Are you serious? Can you imagine being in this position? Three armies. You're marching out to face three whole armies, which is basically death in front of you. And you look to your leader like, what's the play? And he goes, where's the choir at? Get the choir kids out front. We're marching. Like, and you look at it and you're like, this is crazy. Or that's the boldest move I've ever seen in my life, right? He's playing the victory song before the games even started. I mean, imagine with me, and let's imagine this scene, all right? Everybody got your thinking caps on, your imagination brains on? Imagine with me, you're watching a movie that's about Roman soldiers, and they're all about to fight another ancient army. It's quiet. All you can hear is the sound of marching soldiers and their breath. The wind causes the feathers in their helmet to shudder, but suddenly it begins to rain. It's dark and it's cloudy for some reason, and it always rains in battlefields. I've never understood why it always rains in battlefields, but it does. 
So it starts to rain and the deafening silence of the battlefield transforms into a symphony of raindrops against armor, clanging and tapping, almost as if the rain is calling out what is about to happen. And the armies, they reach the front lines. And all that, all that stands between them now is the steam from their breath and the sheets of rain coming down like a hurricane now. The horses stir, uneasy from the tension of the moment. It's quiet. Someone farts. Everybody hears it. Okay, get it together, all right? We're watching a movie. The horses stir. The soldiers stare into the eyes of their potential doom. Suddenly, the front line of the Roman army opens up and out comes the most grizzled and hardcore group of soldiers. And these men have been fighting war since they were boys. They're clothed in peculiar and specific armor to show that not only are they tough, but they are the elite of this army. One guy has a cool eye patch. Another guy has a sword for a hand. One guy is half horse, but not the half you're picturing. Another guy has chest hair so thick and mighty that it is foolish to think that a chest plate of armor could contain it. They march forward into the space between the armies. They move into attack formation. They draw their weapons. Then once they finish drawing their weapons, they fold up the pictures and put them in their pockets to show to their mom later. And then they take out their weapons to fight. And the soundtrack to this movie all of a sudden gets very dark and ominous. Yeah, like that. And just at the moment you think this battle is about to kick off, all the, all the soldiers are staring each other in the eyes knowing, I may die today. I will fight for the glory of my country. They start to sing. Like it's this big tense battle moment, like, oh, this is Sparta 300, it's gonna go crazy. And then they're like, ah, like getting their tuning picks. Like it goes from Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 to Sing 2 in an instant. And it's crazy, like, what? I can't believe this. It blows my mind. It's just like that scene in Sing 2 where Johnny the gorilla has to go out and he's playing the piano. He's like, I don't care, they're gonna tear me apart. And then he has to stick fight that mean guy with the big nose. That guy. Anyway, verse 22 says, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. And the armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every single one of them. And after they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. And the story goes on to say that when the army of Judah arrived to the battlefield, when they arrived to the lookout to see what had happened, all of the opposing armies were already dead. All of the, like they show up to the battlefield, they're like, we're singing, give thanks to the Lord, we're praising, I don't care, they're going to tear me apart. And they show up and it's like, wait a second, what happened here? We didn't even have to do anything because the moment they started praising God, the moment they started thanking God, the moment they started worshiping him, instead of being afraid, instead of wondering if they were going to live, God caused the enemy to take itself out. When we will praise and worship and thank God before the battle, before he's worked it out, before we even get there, God will take care of the rest because God has our back. He wants the same for us. He wants us to have a front row seat to see that when he delivers on his promise, which is he's going to take care of it, that there's only one explanation. When somebody asks, how did you survive that dark season in your life? The only answer is God. 
And not only does he want to protect you from your problems, but he wants to provide for you in them. Listen how this story wraps up. Verse 25, King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. Plunder is just another word for treasure. And they found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. And there was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. They had so much stuff left over from the demise of their enemies. It took three days for them to gather it all. And they didn't have to fight at all. They didn't even lift a finger. All they did was sing to the Lord and thank him. Not only did he have a plan for them, not only did he protect them, and not only did he meet their needs, but he blessed them beyond their imaginations. This little small country of Judah was not expecting to show up and have so much treasure they didn't know what to do with it. They were expecting to show up and be wiped off the face of the planet. Students, God has our back. He does. He has our backs by having a plan and he has our backs by protecting us and he has our backs by providing for us. And the truth is you're probably not facing three armies, right? You're probably not facing three actual armies, but you might be facing something that feels, feels overwhelming. You might be facing something that feels like there's no way out. You might be facing something that feels like you are trapped and you are stuck and there is no hope. You may feel like the army you're up against is a teacher who thinks or who you think hates you. The army you may be up against, maybe, maybe the way you see yourself in the mirror, maybe you think you're ugly. Maybe you don't like your body. Maybe you don't think you're good enough or pretty enough. It could be that you feel like your parents are always mad at you and they're always fighting with you and they like your siblings more than they like you. It could be that you feel alone and that nobody understands you. Or maybe, maybe you just feel like you don't have any friends. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever feels like the three armies coming to take you out, I want you to remember the battle isn't yours. The battle isn't yours, but God's. Remember verse 15 said, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And remember, we read that verse way at the beginning that if God is for us, who or what can be against us? And the answer is nothing because God has our backs. So how do we make this true for us? How do we take this from this idea to to everyday life? How do I actually live this out? Well, we thank God for what it is we want him to do in the future. We stand before our problems and we say, God, I know you promised to work this out and I trust you. God, I know that you said, I will make a way for you and I believe you and I thank you, God. We worship him, we praise him and we thank him before the battle is won because we can stand confident knowing that God said our battle belongs to him. So in closing, I wanna pray a blessing over you guys, okay? So I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And and now's not a time to mess around with your neighbor. It's not a time to be on your phone. It's not a time to worry about what's going on around you. It's a time for you and Jesus. And so, Lord God, we love you so much. And Jesus, I just ask right now that that you would just show up in our lives, God, that you would move on our behalf, that wherever these students are feeling like they are struggling, wherever it feels like there are three armies facing them, whether it's depression, or anxiety, or, or loneliness, or anything like that, God, I ask that you would work it out, God, that you would show them the plan, God, that you would show them that you're protecting them, and God, that you would show them how you are providing them for them in that. God, we love you so much, and it's in your precious name that we pray. 
Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center podcast. For more information on what's happening at 4640, you can check us out on social media or our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights, and we hope to see you there. 